Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. If you want to get your Bibles, open up to the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 11. Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 11. Um, this is kind of a, I say it's a standalone um, chapter in the Bible. It, it, it really is a standalone chapter. It, it does well that way. I don't mean, I don't mean that you, know, you can take that part out and leave the rest of it alone. <laughs> I mean, this chapter, a lot of chapters are attached to each other. You almost have to read the entire chapter of the chapter before and the chapter after for you to get the exact context of what it is the one in the middle saying. This particular chapter is, is pretty much all-inclusive. Even though it's broke up in several paragraphs, um, each one of those paragraphs stick with this, this very same theme. The world we live in today, it's easy for us to be individuals, uh, to become individuals who become, you know, I've talked about the distractions and things before, um, for people to become distracted, but not really so much distracted as, I fill a tub with scalding hot water. There are some people who'd get in it anyway just because they like scalding hot water. Um, we have the ability to be able to see if something's going to be a positive or negative influence on others, but how much do we see things coming that are going to be a positive or negative influence on, uh, effect on us? In other words, we're going to look at several different categories of people in this particular chapter. In those categories of people, he says some very specific things about the, the emotional state or the position uh, that they have uh, put themselves in. And we're going to talk some about how they put themselves in these positions, uh, and then we're going to talk about uh, the position that Jesus Christ wants us all to be in. Uh, so we start at, at, at chapter 11, the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 11, start with verse 1. We're going to read through verse 6. It says, it came about that when instructions to his 12 disciples, um, when his, oh, when it came, and it came about when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John in prison heard of the works of Christ, he sent, uh, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. So here we have John. He's our first subject in this particular passage of Scripture. If you can imagine what's going on in John, we, we know it says that he sent word to Jesus from prison, right? So we know that John's in prison. We also know how much John was hated by the Jews. And John was one of those guys that, that uh, he, he would speak the truth regardless of what the consequences were going to be to him. He would speak the truth. So Herod basically took 
And I'm trying to remember that story to make sure that I get it accurately. And I'm just going to say it this way so I don't get it inaccurate. Uh, King Herod took for a wife a family member's wife, a direct blood family member's wife, a wife. Was not lawful. John the Baptist says, hey, naughty, naughty. So Herod throws him in prison. The girlfriend of Herod, Herod walks up to and says, I'm so in love with you and see so many stars. I'll give you anything that you ask me. Up to half the kingdom. I'll give you half of my authority to rule. Anything. What did she ask for? John the Baptist's head on a platter. Now, I want to I I I ask you something, though. If you were imprisoned and you knew it was just a matter of time and your head's going to roll, how much would you begin to weigh the value of your life and the way you spent it up to that point? I mean, I can imagine John the Baptist being imprisoned. He knows he's going to lose his head. He knows this is, gonna, this is going to cost him his life. He knows this. So what does he start thinking? Is he really the one? To imagine in any dark little corner of your brain that you just lived 40 years of your life, 30 years of your life, representing something that never happened. You talk about serving in vain. And I can imagine John being there going, assessing his entire life and saying, I hope that really is him. I hope the one that I said, he is the one that's not, that I'm not worthy to tie the, the, the strings on his sandals. Is this really him? I'm about to die. I mean, my entire, the value of my entire life is about to stand before God. Did I do what God wanted me to do? How much peace was John experiencing at that moment in his life? Why didn't Jesus just say, go back and tell John the answer to his question is yes? Because anybody can claim to be Jesus, right? But not anybody can do the things Jesus does. And that's why he said, when you go back, report to him and let him know that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. Did John really need to hear Jesus say yes? No. This is Jesus' way to John saying, Calm down. Settle down. Enjoy what you're about to experience. He was telling him yes, affirmatively. I am the one. But he didn't say yes by saying yes. He said, look around you. Have you ever seen a dead man raised from the grave? You ever see a blind man who was blind at birth receive a sight? You ever see a lame man who'd been lame his entire life pick up his pallet and walk with it? I guarantee you by the time that entire list had gotten through with, John was probably feeling pretty silly. But see, the focus is this. John's human. 
John had just as much chaos in his life as anyone else, if not more. There's no person that's above this. I mean, I've asked you before. If I was honestly to ask you today, if you were to take your last breath right now, what kind of legacy would you leave? What would be left? I'll be honest with you. Did you know there are a large number of people who have no clue? Because they've never even made an effort to turn their eyes towards the God that has the ability to give them everything that they need in life. So we live our lives either in faithlessness and disobedience or faithfulness and obedience. That doesn't mean you're obedient to me. That doesn't mean you're faithful to me. It doesn't mean you're obedient or faithful to any other person in the church. It means you're obedient obedient and faithful to God himself. Now, if God sends you a word through another person, you receive it. And if you receive it and you allow it to change you, before you know it, you are positively affecting other individuals' lives. When you get to the point that you are living Christianity to the extent that it is impacting and touching other people's lives, what legacy do you have to to leave? I'll tell you what one of my proudest legacies are. I'll tell you what one of my absolute proudest legacies is. All four of my kids give their life to Jesus. All four of them are manifesting a life under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So guess what that means for the chances of my grandkids? That started here with me. It started with my mom and dad, with my mom and dad. The legacies we leave, those legacies are very important, and John was concerned about that legacy. But we shouldn't be so concerned about the legacy that we begin to doubt who God is. I honestly have no idea how many times in my life I've heard people say this. God, I, I, you get me through this. You get me through this. I, you get me through this, and I promise. And I don't think people really understand how dangerous that is. I mean, yes, he's the God of grace and mercy. But he's also a God of truth and justice. And when we as individuals have the ability to, be, to become so unsettled inside of us that we think we can bargain with God, Okay, God's accepted bargains before in the past, hasn't he? He has, he's accepted those. If you want to make a commitment to God, you go right ahead and do it. But you got to understand, you can't back out of it. You can't change your mind. You can't chicken out. You can't avoid it. I've never had more peace in my life than when the world is treating me badly. What do you mean by that? That's one area in life where the peace that passes all understanding that each and every one of us are individuals that have, who, who have accepted the benefits of that. We've even accepted the benefits of, I mean, it's almost like we made a deal with God and God was like, okay, I'll make that deal with you. And he checks it off. Because he did it. Right? I mean, how many of you have been in those circumstances where you wasn't sure how this thing was going to turn out, but it's like, I don't know how you did it, God, but you did it somehow. This is who God is. What circumstance should we face in life where we don't have the ability to be able to say, God's got this? 
And I'll tell you what, John's got this backwards. You want to make sure you're leaving a legacy and everything you're doing's right? Don't do it just before you die. One of my biggest fears and something I've always taught my kids is do the best you can to live life without regrets. Because at the end of the day, I don't even have to live with any of you. But I do have to live with myself. If we as individuals are believers in Jesus Christ and we trust in Jesus Christ, then we're individuals who are not going to be ashamed of who he is. John wasn't ashamed of who he was. John boldly proclaimed the gospel. He talked down to Sadducees and Pharisees who came down to the riverbank. He talked down to them. What do you think that I have to offer you? Because John didn't do the same baptism that started after Christ was, after Christ was, was uh, uh, killed, buried, and raised from the grave. When John was doing baptism, it was a baptism, it was a baptism of repentance. It was something that the Jews taught back then, the baptism. That baptism was basically just the symbol of I'm going to turn my life around. Somebody in Christ, it's not just a symbol of us turning a life around. It's a symbol of us being buried with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. It's the symbol of the burial with Christ. The burial with Christ is supposed to provoke us as individuals to come out of the grave changed. Well, you suppose Paul said that we are a new creation. And I'll say this again for the sake of the people who may have been here and never heard this before because I've said it about 20 times in 20 years, if not more. People are under the understanding that when the Bible talks about a new creature, that a caterpillar crawls into a cocoon and a butterfly comes out. But in reality, what's a butterfly? It's an upgraded caterpillar. It's a caterpillar's wings. Do you think God wants you to be an upgrade of your old self? Uh-uh. More accurately, a caterpillar crawls into a cocoon and an elephant falls out. Now we're talking about what God's talking about. Not an upgraded creature. Not a distorted creature. A new creation. A new creature brand spanking new this means this folks if if we are dead to our old self to be very honest with you it's exactly why we struggle so much because we have trouble putting our old selves to death we have trouble with that and and it's not that hard to figure out i mean we like ourselves we like the things we do we even like the things that we do that aren't right before god in god's eyes we like those things we're human beings we like them causes conviction when you have a relationship with Jesus, but I mean, we as human beings, by nature itself, we are individuals who are fallen, therefore individuals who are, in, who are dependent upon God for everything that we have. Look at these in this next section. He does a tribute to John in this section. And these were going away, uh, and as these were going away, Jesus began to speak to the multitudes about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? you go out to see a man dressed in soft clothing behold those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces but why did you go out to see a prophet yes i say to you and one who is more than a prophet this is the one about whom it is written behold i send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you truly i say to you among those born of women there has not arisen 
anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet he who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is uh, is uh, greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist till now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Violent men take it by force. What's he talking about by violent men take it by force? He's talking about this testimony to John in this. John was called the forerunner to Christ. John was the one who was to set the path, prepare us as individuals for the coming of Jesus Christ. And the preparation for that coming of, um, of Jesus Christ, I don't want to lose my thought, my thought here, um, in that individuals coming to Jesus Christ would only knew who Jesus was by the testimony that John would have. Now, John was on the riverbank every day baptizing people. Um, he didn't take time for himself. He lived out there. He didn't live in the city. What did he eat? Locusts and wild honey. What did he wear? Camel hair, which probably some of those sacks were made out of camel hair back then. But cam- he, he wore camel hair. He ate locusts and wild honey. If you honestly was somebody who was in a civilized city, even back then, and you walk out to the riverbank to some dude that's dunking people, and he's crunching down on grasshoppers and honey. Legs in his teeth. Sound, sound credible? Because here's the deal. Too many people have, have bet their entire Christian experience on their experience. People do this all the time. How do you choose a church? When you sit down and say, I'm going to find a church, what criteria do you put down on a piece of paper? And I want you to know that you probably just failed the test. Unless you've been in my counseling classes, you know that some of these are trick questions. That was a trick question. How could it be? Let me tie that to this, with this. John the Baptist looked like a nut. Insane. He would have looked crazy. Um, I had an old camel hair suit coat. Uh, it actually said genuine camel hair on the inside. And I had, I had a couple people who would always give me a hard time when I wore a suit because they, they knew I didn't like suits. And like, what are you doing in a suit? John the Baptist wore camel's hair. And I'd go, camel's hair. <laughs> He would have been considered a weirdo. If we as individuals don't understand that the old life has to go away, the new life has to take over, and there's a learning curve of of a fallen, natural fallen human being there. That's really what this is all about. How many of you, since you've become Christians, do things differently than you used to do them before? I'm talking about the same things that you used to do all the time. You become a Christian. You now do those things a little differently than you did them before. And, and those are the things you typically don't even notice because those are the things that change without you even paying attention to it. Those are the things that they're not big things. The things we struggle with are the things we remember. The things we don't struggle with are not the things that we remember. And every one of us in our lives with Christ, we had things we were fully willing to give to Jesus. Fully willing. But it was kind of like this, you know, we had all of our stuff in two hands and we were like this. We'll give him what we want to give him, right? 
but he's going to have to fight me for the stuff behind my back. Right? Because it goes right back to what I said a while ago. I mean, it's fun being, being a fallen-natured human being. Sin's fun. Anybody in here want to doubt me on that? Is sin fun? Well, the Bible says something else after that, though. How long is it fun? First season. It just means there are always consequences of those actions. So the thing is this. John the Baptist, he doubted who Jesus Christ was. What was the effect on him? He was terrified that he'd just wasted his entire life. Jesus Christ is the question of all is the answer to all questions. He's the solution to all problems. He's proven himself to be that to all of the people that are around him. John the Baptist has heard about his miracles. So honestly, when we talk about John the Baptist having peace and individuals as we go back through this, and we're gonna get through this a little bit further. We talk about John the, the Baptist and other people having peace. It's because people are looking for peace in the wrong places. The church can't offer you peace. I can't offer you peace. Nobody in the church can offer you peace. The music played on this stage can't offer you peace. The Bible being preached from this stage can't offer you peace. No wars anywhere in the world can offer you peace. Because peace only truly comes from one place. Only through Christ can the peace that passes all understanding be accepted. And only that gift has only been extended to us because of the love that the Father, that God has for us. So doubt yourself. That's a pretty good human attribute. Doubt your spouse. Doubt your boss, doubt your coworkers. Doubt your mom, doubt your dad. You'll have moments in life where you'll doubt an awful lot of things. But if there was one thing that you could pull out, one thing out of all things, there's one thing out of all things that can offer you true, genuine peace. Why will we not build our foundation on it? And you know what I mean by that? Regrets. You ever had any? Do you ever regret something you couldn't take back? I mean, I had a regret from this morning with my coach. I've known for about three years he's had cancer. I've tried several times to go see him, but he's always either chemo or had somebody coming into town, and I was still planning on going to see him in a couple of weeks. Haven't seen him since he was the best man on our wedding. Talked to him a lot, but never did really sit face-to-face and talk to him. So 30 years. 30 years. Haven't talked to him. Then he up and dies on me. there's a little regret that I didn't try harder to find the time to go do it. If we are individuals who live our, who live our lives in such a way that we are not capable of seeing 
what circumstances create regrets. And we're just blind as a bat or not paying attention. Is your mom alive? She won't be forever. Sorry, that was your encouragement for the day. I've, even one of my brothers, why do you take mom out to eat every week? Because she's my mama and one of these days, she ain't going to be there to take no more. That was one of those circumstances in my life. I was like, uh-uh, there ain't going to be no regrets. Do you have any idea the number of opportunities of regrets inside a church? But see, folks, this is what it all boils down to. We create so much stress for ourselves that we completely miss the biggest blessings that God has to offer. With Christ as our anchor, what can wash us away? There is nothing that has power that's greater than God's. And it's never him that moves it or him that removes it. It's us in our hard-hearted, hard-headed attitudes and just the way that we look at life. And if we can change the way we look at life, we can change the way that life is experienced by us. Instead of people walking around as believers in Jesus Christ, being crushed by the pressures of the world, we would actually be individuals who could scream to the top of our lungs that we have victory in Jesus and have everybody in the county know it. Anyway, I'm, I've got to get to this last part because it sums up the whole thing. The next one was the unrepentant cities. Uh, if you look down at verse 20, uh, he began to reproach the cities uh, in which most of his uh, miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles, if miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which had occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on, on the day of judgment than for you. Why? You see what he's repeating here. When has Jesus not proven himself? In these guys' lives, when they, when they lived their lives in the general populace with Jesus Christ, how many of them do you think really thought Jesus wasn't different? I mean, he just said the same thing to John, didn't he? The dead are being raised. At what point in history has the dead been raised? And I'm not talking about spiritually. I'm talking real flesh and bone person die, put in the tomb for four days, wake him up. He comes out. Jesus says, feed him to wake his stomach up. And the dude's alive. How many, how many times do you think that's happened in all of biblical history? It's not something that's common. So some dude... You walk up, some dude's calling a dead guy who's been dead for four days out of the grave, and he comes walking out of the tomb after being dead for four days. How many of you guys are going to go, yep, I think I might listen to what this guy has to say? Because he just went completely contrary to nature, and that's the point. 
Jesus is not bound by nature. He's not bound by human nature. That's why Jesus has the ability to extend grace to us that supersedes and precedes all of our sin. Here's the point he's getting to, though. Jump down to thirty or to 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou didst hide these things from the wise and intelligent and didst reveal them to babes. Yes, Father, for thus it was well-pleasing in thy sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor the Son, and anyone whom the Son wills to reveal him. Anyone whom the Son wills to reveal him. Let me ask you something. Do do you think that trusting in Jesus requires faith after the fact? Stick with me. Does trusting in Jesus require faith after the fact of trusting in Christ? I mean, honestly, it required faith for you to take the leap that said, yeah, I'll believe in a baby born by a virgin. It takes a leap of faith for someone to say, yeah, I'll believe that a man was crucified to death, put in a grave. Three days later, he, was, he, he rose from that grave, and today he lives in heaven for eternity at the right hand of the Father. It takes faith, right? Now, all of you have been Christians. Doesn't even really matter how long. Yeah, if you've been a Christian longer, you're going to have more experiences. But how many of you guys, since you come to know Jesus, how many of you have seen God prove himself through circumstances? No doubt. Absolutely no doubt that God was there. So why does anything in life require faith? After the fact. Faith got you there. The Holy Spirit gets you through it. Faith's not going to stop you from questioning. It's not going to stop you from doubting. Faith is not, matter of fact, faith, our faith in us is just as fallen as any other part. And thank God that it's not the faith that has to be, or it's not us that has to be in us receiving that faith. It's not us that has to be consistent. It was God who provided the consistency. In other words, we run around the world thinking that every good thing we do, we're earning our way there. Every bad thing that we do is one step forward, two steps back. And it's just not true. None of it's true. It's a fabricated idea for the devil to make you chase your tail. That's what it's all about. What are you working for? Jesus finished it. It's done. We just have individuals that need to apply it now. And so many of those individuals out there don't know it. And they need to hear it. They need the faith part to get to the part where they see that God is real. Every doubt removed from their mind. I don't care who comes up with the best arguments. I have seen things in 30 years of my life. The doctors can't explain I've seen too many things for anybody to, to fashion some, some pretty little argument to convince me that there is no God. 
Okay, so now I know there's a God. But the question is, how big is this God? We won't even use a Sam's coffee cup. Our coffee coffee can. We use a Walmart coffee can, a little shorter, about this tall. And we live our entire lives with God in that coffee can, and us just doing this. We'll get the lid once in a while, see if we can shove it, because our God fits in a coffee can. God can't make sure that you're taken care of. He can't make sure that you stay healthy. He can't make sure that your family stays fed. God can't make sure that the weather stays well enough to keep you alive and sustaining in life. God can't make sure of anything. If you are the person who honestly had that attitude, where does it put you emotionally? Oh, my goodness. That's a brain that needs to be tied up. Because I guarantee you it's chaos. And look at what he says down here. Let's keep going. Verse 28, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You know, I, I realized after years it was an accident, practically an accident. I realized after years, and I'm still somebody who likes to jump in and out of this, so don't take this as I'm a perfect person because by no means am I. All of us are individuals who are going to be jumping back and forth between the fallen human nature side and the Christian side. 100% of the cases I can tell you, it started some time ago, it is actually this that always brings me out of my difficulties. I mean, he doesn't say how. He, he provides rest for people's souls. He doesn't say how his yoke is easy and his burden's light. But when you look at the man's life, would you say that it describes the 33 and a half years he lived on this planet? Did he live a life of, of uh, easy yoking? Does it look like he did? No. Because he was the peace in the midst of the storm. And if you ever want to find peace in the midst of the storm in life, there's only one place that you're going to find it. Because nothing else can offer it. And anything else that you put your trust in is going to yank itself right out from under your feet. It all boils down to this, folks. Is God getting from us what he's worthy of? Is God getting from us what he is worthy of? And I don't even know what that what is. Because each one of you are on a different path in your life. Each one of you are called by God to do a different thing. I don't know what that means. But it means something. Because I doubt that he would have me stand up here and say it if it didn't. When's the last time you cried? Just because of the fact that you know you're not worthy. Men don't cry. I've cried twice today. I ain't even noon yet. Barely noon.
said this the other night in Bible study. I've learned a ton through this whole COVID experience. One of the biggest lessons that I pull away from this is if I can muster up the energy to genuinely put all of my trust in Jesus, whose church is this? It's his church. Am I responsible to make it strong? No. Am I responsible for keeping people here? No. Who's responsible? God. What are you responsible for? Only what he asked you to do. Be faithful in what he's asked you to do. You don't have to be like a pastor or a, or a Sunday school director where you got to worry about a half dozen things or a dozen things or two dozen things. You're not that person. God gave you one thing to watch, and he gave you one thing that gives you the ability to, to, to carry out those tasks. One thing. We just do what we do. We're too manipulated by our emotions. And I've been on that roller coaster. Attendance on church is low. Not only is it discouraging, it can also be maddening. And then the compassionate side makes you hurt for the people that aren't here. And it's just hurt, 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 hurt. And what can I do to fix this? And God goes, it's not your job to fix this. And it was like a dagger through my heart. Because he was absolutely right. It is not my job to fix this. We do what we do, and we leave the results up to him. We do what he asks us to do. We leave the results up to him. It's that simple. Somebody may hate me for what that responsibility is. Who cares? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why? Because it's more important to me that I stand innocent and I stand faithful before God than for me to stand likable before men. I tell people all the time, the Bible says that those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you're living life right now and you're not experiencing any, any persecution, you're doing it wrong. But being light shouldn't be what requires us to be faithful. Shouldn't be why we do what we do. We do what we believe that God asks us to do because we believe ultimately the best result comes from Him. Come on, you guys have tried to do some things in life on your own, haven't you? Without even calling God, talking to Him about it. And they typically don't turn out very well. Or I would say they always will not turn out as well as they would have otherwise. We can bask in his peace. We get to live in that space. And even when we have close friends die to us. Hurts, but it's not hopeless. Couldn't imagine. I could not imagine living life without the assurances that Jesus Christ brings to the table. Could not imagine it. I want to ask you this question. Some people go through life like John the Baptist. Questioning everything. Is it right? Is it what I'm supposed to do? There's nothing wrong with being that person. As long as you're a person that's always judging, is this right? Is this what I'm supposed to do? with what Jesus is telling us is right and what he tells us that we're supposed to do. Are we the individuals who went 
seen John the Baptist and criticized him, ultimately meaning everything under the sun except for what God wants is important. Is it silly that John the Baptist wore camel hair? Yeah. Is it silly that he ate locusts and wild honey? Wasn't a whole lot of people eating that back then, so I would even say he probably looked pretty silly to people doing that. But what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? You say, well, what exactly? It has nothing to do with nothing. You be unfaithful, Christ will remain faithful. You continue to live in chaos, and he will continue to house the peace. And one day, we will all figure out that if we truly want peace, we know where to find it. And we're willing to take the leap into it. If you're living life absent from peace today, why? Don't, don't, don't ask that question to me. During this invitation time, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to ask that question to God. Ask him. He'll tell you. And then just listen to him. Because I'll tell you something. If you're living life in this world right now, absent from all peace, absent from the strength, the encouragement, the stability that comes from Christ, Continue to do what you're doing and you'll continue to get what you get. You make adjustments in life, you're going to see adjustments. It's the way that it works. And the ultimate goal is not for me to see you be more obedient and more faithful. That is not the goal. Ultimately, the goal is to see you at peace. Not disturbed by the winds that are blowing around. So my question is this, are you? Are you in that spot? Or your your faith is constantly wavering, even after you've trusted in him, where your the peace is absent, the encouragement is absent, the strength that's required to live this life is absent. Are you there? Any one of those? Ask God why. He'll tell you. If you're here today and you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, you've never made that decision public, I'll tell you what, you may have said, well, I trusted in Jesus, but I've never been baptized. If you've trusted in Jesus but never been baptized, congratulations, you are now living a very disobedient life as a believer. First and greatest act of obedience. And it's not because it's something that saves you by us doing it. It's because God wants you to have this thing happen in your life that is going to meld you to him. And that baptism experience does exactly that. It also gives a chance for a church to be able to see you baptized and say, I want to pray for that person because I know the path that they're going to walk and I know the difficulties they're going to face on that. It happens inside churches so churches can rally around, encourage, and build people up. If you've never given your life to Christ, don't leave this place today without doing so. If the Holy Spirit so moves you. Well, I don't. what's the Holy Spirit? You'll know. I don't have to explain it. You'll know. When you feel the need to dig your fingers in the back of that pew and everything in your body is screaming no because you hear some some absolute presence in your voice going, step out, you'll know who it is. But whether it's somebody who's trusting in Jesus and walking up here or it's somebody who's known Jesus for a long time, the expectation is the same. Listen to God.
could never ask you to do anything more or anything better than to listen to God. Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. Have a blessed week and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.